Oh, Jeff, this is freaky. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's like some kind of strange ritual going on here. Yeah, there's robed figures holding torches, some strange stone monuments over there. Are we sure we're in Connecticut and not some ancient site in Europe? No, I can see the confusion, Ray. This monument is a replica of England's most famous ancient site. Its measurements and alignments are precisely set. And though this Guilford, Connecticut site is nowhere near as old as the one in England, and frankly, nowhere near as old as us for that matter, it's an enigma with quite a story behind it. I can only imagine. So we've come to Guilford, Connecticut to learn the secret origins of a monument called Circle of Life. A monument built to not only thumb the nose at some locals, but one that's also a replica of Stonehenge. Hey, I'm Jeff Belanger. And I'm Ray Ozier. Welcome to episode 333 of the New England Legends podcast. Only half evil. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on our mission to chronicle every legend in New England one story at a time. From roadside oddities to ghosts, monsters, UFOs, true crime, and the just plain weird. Well, we cover it all. And we can't find these stories without your help. So please reach out to us anytime through our website with your own strange local tales. So we'll uncover the mysteries of this Connecticut Stonehenge right after this quick word from our sponsor. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hi, my little darklings. I'm in a chipper mood. I don't know about you. If you're not, hopefully by the end of this conversation, we can find a way to get you feeling as good as I'm feeling. As a parent, one of the most important relationships in my life is with my children. It is one of the proudest achievements of my life, raising and loving all of these 11 kids that have come through my life. And I take that very seriously. But a common misconception about relationships is that they have to be easy to be right. Sometimes the best ones happen when both people put in the work to make them great. And therapy can be a place to work through your challenges that you face in all of your relationships, whether it's with friends, work, your significant other, or your children. Me personally, it's been a struggle having this many children, so many different independent personalities. It's also hard as a parent to not feel like you're failing. Like maybe you're losing ground with your children, how to be and who to be for each and every one of them. And that's an important element to making a relationship solid. But you're not alone, friends. I've gone through this. It has been a huge weight on my heart until I sought help from BetterHelp. Getting a chance to talk to somebody that knows how to walk me through the trials and tribulations has changed my life. Not only my life, but I believe it's helped change my children's lives. I've benefited from help, and I hope that you'll consider getting help for yourself as well. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out the brief questionnaire, and you'll get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. The best way to start is by getting healthy within you. That is going to make all of your relationships flourish. Visit betterhelp.com slash P60 today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash P60. Don't put off another day which you can start now. and Reclaim your life. Reclaim the relationships and the people in your life. Make that call. Betterhelp.com slash P60. Okay, Jeff, so we're standing on the side of Uncas Point Road in the Sachem Head section of Guilford, Connecticut. That's right. Now, I'm looking through a gate across the field to, uh, well, what looks like you know, Stonehenge. 
We are. And we should point out that this site is on private property, so you can only see it from the side of the road. Right. Got it. So Stonehenge, the one in England, is considered one of the seven wonders of the world. It is. And I had the chance to visit Stonehenge a few years ago in Salisbury, England. I was speaking at an event in the UK and we had a free day, so some of us drove down to Stonehenge. What was that like? So it was cool. Like We were driving along the A303 and all of a sudden... There it is on the top of this grassy hill. I mean, you've seen it so many times on TV and in photos. There's no confusion as to where you are. So we parked the car. We pay the admission fee, which was 23 pounds or about 30 US dollars for one adult. And you walk up to the site and we're only allowed to get so close. They don't generally allow you to walk inside the stone circle without special permission. Well, right. Otherwise, it would be covered in stickers and tags from punks. Right. Probably. So I looked this up. The oldest section of Stonehenge dates back almost 5,000 years. The outer ring consists of vertical sarsen standing stones, about 13 feet high and seven feet wide and weighing 25 tons each. Now, Stonehenge is also a burial site. There's many burial mounds around the grounds, and it's believed these giant stones were an ancient calendar, a solar calendar that would have been calibrated each winter solstice so ancient people could track all 365 and one quarter days of the year. When you see the site in person, it's pretty amazing. I mean, of course, you wonder how people 5,000 years ago could have built something like that. But also, Stonehenge is so famous that you can't help but be a little starstruck. Kind of like if your favorite A-list celebrity walked into the bar where you're hanging out. I get that, but this version of Stonehenge here in Guilford, Connecticut, isn't nearly as old. No, not even close. And what's here right now wasn't even supposed to be Stonehenge. It should have been something else entirely. You might even make the argument that the Stonehenge that's here now is a bit of a middle finger to some locals. To find out how it got here, let's head back to the year 2003. It's the summer of 2003. Crazy in Love by Beyonce is the number one song on the radio. George W. Bush is president, and the war in Iraq is just a few months old. But here in the swanky Sachem's Head section of Guilford, Connecticut, one local homeowner is optimistic. He's looking to the stars. Now, Sachem's Head is swanky. There's some expensive waterfront real estate around here, but the moniker of the area takes its name from some brutal history. Back in 1637, there was a skirmish between the Mohegan Indians, who were allied with the English, and they were battling the Pequots. The battle happened in what is now called Bloody Cove Beach, just about a half mile to our southeast. After the battle, a Pequot sachem, or chief, was beheaded. Even today, the cove is called Bloody Cove, and the whole peninsula is called Sachem's Head. Now, that is a rough piece of history. And looking at the Sachem's Head Yacht Club today, the mansions and the perfectly manicured properties around here, you'd never know that there was such a dark past. Anyway, we're not here to explore that part of the land's history. We're here because one local resident named Jonathan Rothberg wants to look to the stars. That he does. Now, Rothberg is a scientist who was involved, among other things, with sequencing the human genome. He and his wife, Bonnie, and their three young children bought this land back in 2001. They built a handsome home for their family, and with plenty of land left over, Rothberg is thinking about what he can do with it. Now that's when some science news headlines catch Jonathan's attention. This August, Earth is going to pass closer to the planet Mars than it ever has in the last 60,000 years. Yeah, that's really cool. Isn't it? Rothberg goes out and buys an 11-inch telescope and pops it on his lawn. It's a great telescope and offers some, forgive me, stellar views. Oh. But then... It starts to rain, and they have to haul the telescope inside. That's when Rothberg gets an idea. What if they built an observatory? 
an observatory. I love it. They could be in a covered space, look at the stars year-round. What an amazing thing to have in your yard. So Rothberg hires an architect to design the observatory in the shape of a Gemini symbol. That's the zodiac symbol for their eldest child. The observatory will be 35 feet tall, which is as tall as local ordinances will allow. And what a cool thing. I mean, if I had the money, I'd love to have something like that. And with the building plans ready, Rothberg submits them to the town. And that's when they call a special planning and zoning board meeting to discuss. Okay, well, fair enough. I mean, I'm sure the town receives plans every day for sheds and home expansions, decks, things like that. I mean, how many observatories do they see? Exactly. Well, let's head into the meeting. Oh, this isn't good. Why? What do you mean? Well, if a planning and zoning meeting in town is crowded with people, it means the masses are mad and have come to oppose. I guess that makes sense. People don't usually leave their homes to go to one of these boring meetings to support something, unless they have a vested interest in it, of course. Right. So Rothberg explains how this could be educational. School kids could visit. And when neighbors see visions of yellow school buses rolling down their quiet street full of screaming kids, well, the fate is sealed. Jonathan Rothberg is told this observatory isn't happening. It's best to move on. So move on he does. A rolling stone gathers no moss. And it turns out that standing stones, well, they can always be scrubbed free of any moss. Standing stones? So Rothberg recently bought a box of children's wooden blocks and started setting them up in different configurations. Pretty soon, the design looked a little familiar. Oh my gosh, look at that. It looks like a little miniature Stonehenge. That's when Rothberg gets a second idea for his property. He knows Stonehenge in England is a calendar. What if he could build a more personal version of the same thing? So Rothberg calls an expert. He calls Dr. Anthony Avini, professor of anthropology and astronomy at Colgate University. It's Dr. Avini who lays out a plan for a Stonehenge-looking structure that will chart sunrise and sunset on the first day of the seasons, plus predict other celestial events and mark the birthdays of Rothberg's three children. Rothberg calls his creation the Circle of Life. Eh, reminds me of a popular song from the movie The Lion King. Came out just a few years ago, back in 1994. Well, that's right, and there may be some inspiration there. Plus, putting up a stone sculpture on your property doesn't require building permits. That's true. I didn't need a permit to put up my pink flamingos. <laughs> no, you didn't. Right. So enter sculptor Daryl Pettit. Pettit is commissioned and begins searching for these stones. Now, there's a stone quarry just 20 minutes away in Brantford, Connecticut, but Pettit doesn't see enough there for the 700 tons of granite he'll need to make this vision come to life. It's early 2004 when Pettit and his crew arrive in a massive stone quarry near Larvik, Norway. For three months, the crew chisel and cut, grind and polish massive stone slabs, each roughly 6 by 13 feet. Now, when the stones are finished, they're wrapped in carpet to protect them and sent over by ship to Connecticut. A concrete foundation is poured. The stones are erected precisely according to plan. And bam! Stonehenge in Connecticut. 10, 9, 8, but 7, What are you doing? 6... Five. I'm counting down from ten. Well, I figured that out, but why? Four, three, and there it is. I was guessing how long it would take neighbors to complain. <laughs> right, well, there it is. Some say the Circle of Life Stonehenge sculpture doesn't look like it aesthetically fits the region. Some say the polished stones reflect the sunlight in various directions. 
Others complain it was put up without any sort of permit. To which Rothberg replies that it's a piece of art, a sculpture. He doesn't need a permit to put this art on his property. Ultimately, the sculpture stays. And that brings us back to today. Now, as we mentioned in the beginning, this sculpture is on private property, and you can only look from the street. And not all that clearly either, because it's a large property. Which makes me wonder why neighbors have a problem with it to begin with. But I guess people will complain about anything. Mm, Yeah, that they will. Rothberg told his construction team he wants the stones to last 10,000 years. The way they were built, they certainly could. Though, the senior engineer whose firm designed the concrete mix for the foundation believes that with rising sea levels, the site will likely be underwater in less than a century. But what a century it will have, right? (laughs) A century of people talking about it. Now imagine if 5,000 years from now, we've mostly wiped ourselves out and some group of human survivors come along and they discover this mysterious place. They'll speculate that this must have been some sacred site, something important not realizing it's an eccentric's way of honoring his kids, getting around planning and zoning, and putting up an expensive and artistic middle finger to some of his annoying neighbors. A roadside oddity on private property that can still cause a stir. I love it. (laughs) And that takes us to After the Legend, where we take a deeper dive into this week's story, Sometimes, Vera, of course. After the Legend is brought to you by our Patreon patrons. This group of insiders is simply the best. They are. They support us in everything we do, and we wouldn't have a podcast without them. We need more people like them. They help with our hosting costs, production, travel, marketing, and everything else it takes to bring you two episodes each week. It's only three bucks per month, but... For that, our patrons get early ad-free access to new episodes, plus bonus episodes and content that no one else gets to hear. It's like buying me and Jeff a beer each month that we have to split. That we have to split, right. (laughs) Now, if you can help, please head over to patreon.com slash newenglandlegends to sign up. To see some pictures of this Connecticut Stonehenge, you can click on the link in our episode description or go to our website and click on episode 333 which again is only half evil. I love people that just don't care. Don't care. Their their property, their yard. Right. But the, it's it's amazing that you do have to get permits. Have, did you have to? For my pink flamingos? Yeah. No. For other things? Have you ever had yes. to? Yes. Oh, sure. I don't sure. want to specifically Absolutely. say things. No, yeah. But. No, I put a, I, uh, I rebuilt my deck. Right. And that needed a permit. Okay. Um, and yeah, I mean, I mean, of course. And then the building inspector comes along and takes a look at it to make sure. And I understand, right? Because if I sell the house and I just put up some shoddy deck and someone gets hurt, well, if the town inspected it, it should be right. up to some standards. You're making me feel bad now about the stuff well, I didn't get a permit right. for. Well, you know. <laughs> I'm a risk taker. I'm a risk taker. I don't think outhouses need a <laughs> permit. But um, no, but of course. So I, I do understand it. And I understand if you're going to be, you know, um, there's got to be some rules. Otherwise, when you buy a house, you don't expect, for example, your your neighborhood is not zoned for commercial. You right, don't expect right. neon signs across the street and people to say, I'm going to just turn my house into a bar. Right. Right? Like, you didn't sign up for that. You got me thinking now that. Now Ray's like, <laughs> neon, and I could sell, okay. I'm yeah. <laughs> I don't have to have the neon. It'll be like a speakeasy. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, Secret knock and everything. I think we call that a party, but whatever. A party with a cover <laughs> charge. Uh, but so, yeah, of course, like I understand to some degree that, you know, you can't do whatever you want or you have to buy property. If you're like, if you want to put up a bar, you have to buy commercial property, sure. right? Yeah. Like there's, these are the rules. Uh, and town ordinances are town ordinances. You know, if, if 35 feet tall is as big as you can put something on your property, then yeah. go live somewhere else. If you don't, if you can't live with that. Or, you know, uh, run for office and try to change it. We've talked about this. So everybody gets so riled up about national politics. Yeah. 
your local town politics affect your day-to-day life so much more. Sure. You know who always runs for planning and zoning? Who? Like someone who wants something done <laughs> to benefit right. themselves, right? Yeah. So you only need like sometimes dozens of votes is enough if you live in a small town. Right. So you get your drinking buddies together. <laughs> you tell them to get their drinking buddies together. Yeah. Go vote for me because I want to like expand my, you know, yard. Yeah. Get you that done. You want to put a Stonehenge in your front yard. Then I'll quit. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and, and so you do and you, you approve your own plans and then you do it and you quit. I mean, that's got to be like one of the most, you know, not all of them, of course, yeah. but- I gotta believe the vast number of people that run for planning and zoning have a have yeah. a horse in the race. It's not the sexiest of jobs. Would you? If I'm like Ray, you want to be planning and zoning? I'm, Absolutely not. No, unless I had skin in the game. Unless you're like, unless I could get away with some stuff that right. would help my business or whatever. Change a few things in my right. favor. Right. And then otherwise, you know, yeah, you're not. You, you know, you want to be a selectman. You want to be mayor. Maybe. Sure. Yeah. 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 That Even would be... health inspector, but planning and zoning. Yeah. Ugh. Important though, yeah, I, it is I, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I get it. Not a job I would want, but I get that. You know, we we got to do it. And so, uh, anyway, I was thinking about this too. Um, so, a calendar. Uh, if anyone would like to build a calendar, this is how long it'll take you. Under ten seconds. It's okay. so easy. All you need to do is you need a straight stick yep. or, or or a stone or whatever. Put it at ninety degrees into the ground, and you're done. That okay. is a calendar. So how do you make sure it's exactly ninety degrees? You check your cell phone. Oh, you're uh, not ninety degrees. Well, yeah. you know, give it your best guess. Okay. But what happens is, uh, as the sun moves throughout the day and throughout the year, the shadow is going to move around on the ground. So you're, right. mar- you're marking where the shadow is. Now, when it's the winter solstice, the shadow will be the longest because yep. the sun's low on the horizon. When it's the summer solstice, the shadow, you know, depending on where you are in the world, would be very, very small because the sun's almost directly overhead. So that literally can become a calendar. You can say, well, when the shadow touches that rock, it's Ray's birthday. Yeah. Right? When the shadow touches this rock, it's, you know, Halloween. Like, Sounds like you're getting ready for a science fair. <laughs> right. A, a year-long, boring <laughs> science fair, right? Although it would be a cool experience, experiment for a kid to do. Totally. Yeah, just send it, you know, kill some time, get out of my hair, go play with your sundial. Right. Well, a sundial, right? So a sundial is at, I think, a 45-degree angle. Oh, and, and well, what's the difference? Uh, nothing. Besides 45 degrees and 90 degrees. Yeah, not a lot. But, I mean, you know, it's one, one you're trying to measure the time. But, but that's only going to tell you relative to the sun where you are. So you'd have to move it based on you know, time zones and stuff. Okay, what but, do I know? Well, I don't know. But but my point is that we've talked about this before too, how um, calendars would have been the most critical thing in the world. Mm. When you go from hunters and gatherers about 10,000, 11,000 years ago to farmers, uh, now a calendar is just as important as farming yep. because you got to do everything right. If sure. you're not going to move where the food is, if you're going to stay put, you got to plant at the right time, harvest yeah. at the right time, hunt certain animals at the right time so it's they can science. repopulate. Totally. Yeah. And so your calendar, you're going to you're gonna make intricate calendars that say, okay, when the sun sets between these two stones from this vantage point, we have to plant, yep. right? We harvest when it sets over here or rises over there, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. You, you, you figure that out and you fine tune it year after year, season after season, generation after generation. And that site would become sacred because you know, like if you've ever planted tomatoes in your yard, mm. you know, sometimes you do everything right and something goes wrong, Sure, right? Like there's a drought, there's a blight, some some parasite gets into your tomatoes and they're all dead yeah and and no big deal you just go to the store but if you're feeding your family or a whole village it's a very big deal yeah and so if you do everything right sorry uh everything right according to the um to the calendar mm. and something goes wrong well gods must be angry right and they need to be appeased and who knew thousands of years ago that today we'd have something called like where's the sun.com <laughs> where you don't even need those tools anymore right just punching your uh, yeah. coordinates Oh, that's can't where the just, sun is. Can't you just look up? 
You could. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> what time is it? Well, eh. sun's high. Must be somewhere around 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. We've gotten so soft. <laughs> got calendars and, and clocks on our phones. And Can you guess the time of the day within like yeah. half, even a half hour? I think so. I'm pretty good at that. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but, yeah. Absolutely. But I, I wonder if that's something that's uh, conditioned. Maybe it's something yeah. that's in our DNA where we just kind of know. Or have we just seen the sun in certain locations so many times that it's muscle memory almost? Here's another question for you. You look at the clock. It says uh, 12.30 p.m. afternoon, you know, middle of yeah. the day. Do you get hungry? Yeah, because well, you're accustomed to eating at that time. Right. Even, But is your body hungry or is your brain saying, Psychologically, I think that's a psychological thing. Exactly. Yeah. So if we got rid of the clocks and just ate when we were hungry, would you eat at 12.30? Or would you go maybe till like 2 or 3 or 4 or 5? Or would you eat at 10? Yeah, you know, because I do the morning show. I'm up at right. 4. You're I get home... Early. 10, 11 sometimes. Yeah. And I'm not always hungry because I'm not thinking about it. Right. Until I do look at the clock. I'm like, oh, it's one o'clock and I haven't had lunch yet. You haven't eaten in I eight hours. I should eat something. Yeah. You haven't eaten in eight hours. But I wasn't hungry. Right. So I'm forcing myself to eat. We're, we're, we're fixing the whole weight problem here. Right. Stop looking at the clock. Stop looking at the clock. Because you won't be hungry. Yeah. Right. We're hungry when we see a clock. Yeah. The clock tells us it's lunchtime. Yeah. We should eat. Well, the clock says 9 a.m. and you figure, I got to get up. It's 9 a.m. Well, why do you have to get up? When's the last time you got up at 9 a.m.? Oh, my God. I know, it's right? been a long time. That's what I'm saying. I get scared if I wake up at nine o'clock. Like, oh no, like on the weekends, something's wrong. Right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've had uh, a coronary. And I think yeah. we've talked about this. The body wakes you up at certain times, of course, without yeah. the alarm. I, yeah. I wake up five minutes before my alarm goes off every morning because you're so used to it. Yep. So yeah, so we're we're still ruled by calendars and clocks. Yep. Um, they were back then too, but it was a different level. Uh, we didn't care so much if it was 9.05 or 9.17. Yeah. We cared if we planted the harvest at the right time. Now, that must have been a weird time. Like, what? because there were no real times, set dates, when you really weren't paying much attention to the exact time. It was, nobody was saying, let's meet down at the field at 5 p.m. Well, right, yeah. Let's meet down the field when the shadow is uh, is yeah. 90 degrees south. Yeah. You know, that's when you, that's how you told time. That's how right. you made plans. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's weird. I know it's so it's so foreign to us because everything is so specific. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there was a time where it was like, oh no, we're in the we're in the planting season. Yeah. So we farm. That's what we're doing right now. And yeah, then, you didn't have a calendar. You went out with your stick and you kind of drew in the sand where <laughs> on that sundial. Yeah. Uh, you know, you were supposed to be what you were supposed to do. Yeah. Once the shadow hits that, it's right. it's dinner. Yeah. Text me. Just text me. <laughs> it's dinner. You know. Because I don't have a clock. Yeah, that's yelling out the window. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. That's ringing, ring, ringing that, that triangle bell. Ding, 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 ding. The original text. The original text. <laughs> like, oh, sounds like dinner time. Um, but yeah, so this, and the other thing too is that, um, one other point I wanted to make is that I recognize this, this is very wealthy people in a wealthy section and place we can't afford to live. But, <laughs> uh, but at the same time, like you are entitled to do stuff with your own property. Sure, especially to, if it's artistic. To a degree, right? Yeah. Like, so I get it. Um, but my gosh, no matter what you do, someone's oh, going to yeah. complain. And oh, and by the way, I did try to find out what this little Stonehenge cost yeah. to send a, a, an artist to Norway for three months with a crew and then get the things over and the plans and the concrete and the design and, 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 and mm. right? Um, uh, the quote in the New York Times article that I was uh, reading about, you know, how this all came together, uh, Rothberg basically said, uh, well, this, you know, great art is priceless. <laughs> I imagine whatever is a lot. Whatever numbers in your head, you know, add fifty percent. <laughs> is probably what it cost. 
Got a weird story you think we should check out? Email us anytime through our website. And then make sure you tell a friend or two about the show. You can share episodes on your social media, and you can stop them on the street and say, Hey, did you ever hear about New England Legends? I have. Right. Or you can just post a review for us. Goes a long way in helping others find us. We're one big, weird community and appreciate you being a part of it. And we'd like to thank our sponsors. Thank you so very much to our Patreon patrons. The theme music's by John Jett. Till next time, remember, the bizarre is closer than you think. <laughs>